is absolutely essential to me that I should have 50,000 pounds at once. If I were able, I should be happy to advance it without further parley from my own private purse. You have doubtless heard of the burial coronet. One of the most precious public possessions of the empire. Precisely. And here it is. The burial coronet. There are 39 enormous burials, and the price of the gold chasing is incalculable. I am prepared to leave it with you as my security. Even to my friend Sherlock Holmes, 50,000 pounds was high stakes to play for. My name is Watson, Dr. Watson, and I was privileged to share the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. I will tell you about the case of the burial coronet. My friend Holmes was only called in when the affair was already alarmingly developed, as you will see. to restore a credit balance to your account. I remain your obedient servant, etc., etc., etc. Now, Miss Parker, is that all? Yes, Mr. Holder. Very well. Please attend to those letters at once. That'll be all. Thank you, sir. <coughs> Excuse me, sir. Uh, yes, Roberts, what is it? A gentleman wishes to see you, sir. By appointment? Well, no, sir. Well, then, I'm afraid uh, that this... I... Is his card, sir. Now, really, Roberts, you know very well that I... I... This is his card? Why, yes, sir. Well, then, th th then show him in at once. Immediately, Roberts. Well, make haste, man. Yeah, at once, sir. If you would kindly step this way, you're... You're... Uh, Mr. Holder, uh, yeah, sir. Yes, his, very good, his... Roberts. Thank you. Uh, your, your Grace, may I be allowed to say how deeply honored we are to... You're not at all, uh, Mr. Holder. I must apologize for the abruptness of this call without an appointment. Pray say no more, sir. Uh, will uh, your grace be seated? Thank you. With your permission, sir, I will state my business. It is absolutely essential to me that I should have 50,000 pounds at once. For how long, may I ask your grace, do you want this sum? Next Monday, I have a large sum due to me. I shall then repay what you advance together with any interest. But it is essential to me that the money should be paid at once. If I were able, I should be happy to advance it without further parley from my own private purse. On the other hand, if I am to do it in the name of the firm, then in justice to my partner, I must respectfully insist that, uh, even in your case, every business-like precaution should be taken. I should much prefer to have it so. Mr. Holder... You have doubtless heard of the burial coronet. One of the most precious public possessions of the empire. Precisely. And here it is. The burial coronet. There are 39 enormous burials, and the price of the gold chasing is incalculable. The lowest estimate would put the worth of the coronet at double the sum I have asked. I am prepared to leave it with you as my security. Well, really, Your Grace, I don't... You doubt uh, its value? Oh, not at all. I only doubt... The that, propriety uh... of my leaving it? You may set your mind at rest about that. I should not dream of doing so. Were it not absolutely certain that I should be able to reclaim it in four days? Now, sir, is the security sufficient? Ample. You understand that I am giving you a strong proof of the confidence which I have formed upon all that I have heard of you. I rely upon you not only to be discreet and to refrain from all gossip, but above all, to preserve the coronet with every possible precaution. Of course. 
I need not say that a great public scandal would be caused if any harm were to befall it. Your grace may rest completely assured. And now permit me to call my cashier and arrange for 50,000 pounds in notes to be paid at once. Uh, that will be all for tonight, Lucy. You may go to bed now. Thank you, sir. Good night, sir. But what I can't understand, Father, is why you should have brought the coronet home with you. Surely the bank would have been the safest place. Bankers' safes have been forced before now. Do let us see the coronet, Uncle Alex. No, Mary, not even for you, my dear. Oh, Uncle, please. Well, perhaps just a peep on Monday when I take it with me for the last time. I hope to goodness the house won't be burgled before then, that's all. Where have you put it? In my dressing room. Huh? In the bureau under lock and key. Oh, no. Don't you remember? When I was a youngster, I used to open that bureau with the key of the box from cupboard. Then I hope you can keep a secret for a day or two. Oh, oh me, I... I'm quite tired tonight. I, I think I shall be off to my bed. I too. Good night, Uncle dear. Good night, Arthur. You turning in? Um, yes, soon. Good night, Mary. Good night. Father? Uh, yes, Arthur. Could I have a word? Well, what is it? Look here, Dad. Can you let me have 200 pounds? 200? Well, you've been very generous in money matters. Far too generous. Well, can you once more? No, I can't. But I must have it, or I'll never be able to show my face inside the club again. And a very good thing, too. Yes, I, I know what you feel, but... You wouldn't have me leave it as a dishonored man. I've warned you I don't know how many times not to squander your money on cards and the turf. You know I've tried. You run into dangerous company with men like Burnwell and those. Their habits are expensive, but their purses are long. They can stand it, but you can't. You've never liked Sir George, but he's been a true friend to me. Well, we differ there. As for the rest, I'll break with them, I promise I will. But Burnwell will draw you back. No, Arthur, this is the third demand this month, remember. But it'll mean disgrace. I must have that money, Father. Then you must find it as best you can. Not another farthing from me. And now, good night. Why, Mary. Taking the night air, child? No, Uncle. I just thought I'd see to the windows myself tonight. Extra precautions, you know. How thoughtful, my dear. You saved me a task. Tell me, Uncle, did you give Lucy leave to go out tonight? Oh, certainly not. Well, she came in just now by the back door. Perhaps she's only been to the side gate to see someone. Still, I think it should be stopped. It's hardly safe. Quite right. You must speak to her in the morning. Now, are you sure everything is fastened? Quite sure, Uncle. Then, good night, my dear. Good night. doing with that coronet? Uh, Father, I... So you've come to this? No, no. Give it me here. Oh, no. It's broken. Listen, Father. Tell I... me this instant where this missing corner is and the three barrels from it. There can't be any missing. There are, and you know it, because you've stolen them. Stolen? Yes, you thief. What? Must I call you a liar as well? Father. When I caught you now, you were trying to wrench off another piece. This is the last straw. You've called me names enough. I shall leave your house in the morning and make my own way in the world after this. 
You shall leave it in the hands of the police. Oh, very well. If you choose to call the police, let them find what they can. You shall learn nothing from me. Oh, Arthur, I... I... Well, you may as well face the matter. It's not only my honor, but that of someone far more important than I that is at stake. Yet I suppose it might still be averted. Arthur, tell me at once where those beryls are. Tell me and... and... Well, all shall be forgiven and forgotten. You keep your forgiveness for those who ask for it. You shall learn nothing from me. Nothing. And so I called an inspector and gave him into custody, Mr. Holmes. A search was made at once of his person and his room and of every portion of the house where he could have concealed the gems. No trace could be found of them. Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson, what am I to do? Do you receive much company? Well, none, save my partner with his family uh, and an occasional friend of Arthur's that I could well do without. Uh, Sir George Burnwell, for instance. Ah. Do you go out much in society? Arthur does. Uh, my niece, Mary, and I stay at home. We neither of us care about it. That is unusual in the young girl. Oh, she's of a very quiet nature. This matter has been a great shock to her also. Terrible. She heard the noise of my shouting at Arthur and rushed into the room. She must have read the whole story in his face and on seeing the coronet. She screamed. I do believe she's more affected than I am. You have neither of you any doubt as to your son's guilt? How can we have? When I saw him with my own eyes with the coronet in his hands. Oh, was the remainder of the coronet at all injured? Well, yes, it was twisted. What did the police say of the disappearance of those gems? They're still sounding the planking and probing the furniture in the hope of finding them. Hmm. Have they thought of looking outside the house? Yes, yes, they've shown extraordinary energy. Very well, then. It is our task to find the gems. At once, Mr. Holmes. You may go to any expense you think necessary. I think first we'll set off for your home and devote an hour to glancing a little more closely into the details. Oh, together with my dear friend Dr. Watson here, of course. You'll come, Watson. By all means. Splendid. Then come along, gentlemen. Uh, the cabs go slowly through this snow, so I think we'll take the underground. Ah, this is my dear niece, Mary. Mary, I brought a gentleman down from London to inquire more deeply into this dreadful business. This gentleman? Uh, no, no, no. His friend. Uh, this is Dr. Watson. My Mary is the sunbeam in my house, Dr. Watson. She's lived with us since my brother died, and I don't mind saying she's become my right hand. Oh, don't listen to his flattery. But where is this other gentleman? Mr. Sherlock Holmes. He wished us to leave him alone. I, I think he's round in the stable lane. The stable lane? What can he hope to find there? Ah, here he comes. My niece, Mary, Mr. Holmes. How do you do, Miss Holder? Might I ask you a question or two? Why, yes if it may help to clear this horrible affair up. You heard nothing yourself last night? Nothing, until my uncle began to speak loudly. I heard that and I came down. <laughs> I understand you shut up the windows and door the night before. Did you fasten all the windows? Yes. Were they all fastened this morning? Yes. Now, about your maid, Lucy Parr. The second waiting maid. She's only been in my service a few months. She came with an excellent character, though, and uh, she's always given me satisfaction. Uh, the only drawback is... Yes? Uh, well, she's a very pretty girl, and her admirers occasionally hang about the place. Oh, yes. 
I believe, Miss Holder, that you remarked to your uncle last night that she had been out to see someone. Yes, her sweetheart, I supposed. She came into the drawing room while my uncle was telling us about the coronet. He stopped speaking till she'd gone, of course. But she might not have closed the door after her. You infer that she may have overheard something, that later she went out and told her sweetheart about it. And that the two may have planned the robbery. What is the good of all these vague theories? I've told you I saw Arthur with the coronet in his hand. Now, wait a little, Mr. Holder. We must come back to that. Miss Holder, about this girl. You saw her return by the kitchen door, I presume? Yes. When I went to see if the door was fastened for the night, I met her slipping in. I saw the man, too, in the gloom. Do you know him? Oh, yes. He's the greengrocer who brings our vegetables round. His name is Francis Prosper. He stood to the left of the door. That is to say, farther up the path than is necessary to reach the door. Why, yes, he did. And he's a man with a wooden leg. Why, Mr. Holmes, you are like a magician. How do you know that? I should be very glad now to look upstairs. I shall probably wish to go over the outside of the house again. Very well. Uh, Perhaps I'd better take a look at the lower windows before I go up. Where's my lens? the bureau. Mm-hmm. Which key was used to open it? Uh, the one my son had mentioned. The key of the box room cupboard. You got it with you? Uh, yes, here it is. Oh, thank you. Now then. Mm. It's a noiseless lock. It's no wonder that it didn't wake you. And this case, I presume, contains the coronet. The burial coronet itself, sir. Hmm, I see. Now, Mr. Holder, here is the corner which corresponds to that which has been so unfortunately lost. Might I beg that you will break it off? Well, I shouldn't dream of trying. Oh, then I will. Oh, Mr. Holmes, I beg you, please. Mr. Holmes, I, I, I felt it give a little, but though, though I'm exceptionally strong in the fingers, it would take me all my, all my time to break it. Uh, an ordinary man couldn't do it. Now, what do you think would happen if I did break it, Mr. Holder? Well, really, I can't... There would be a noise like a pistol shot. You tell me that all this happened within a few yards of your bed and that you heard nothing of it. Oh, I don't know what to think. It's, it's all dark to me. Perhaps it may grow lighter as we go on. What do you think, Miss Holder? I confess, Mr. Holmes, that I still share my uncle's perplexity. I think you told me at my chambers, Mr. Holder, that your son had no shoes or slippers on when you saw him. He had nothing on save only his trousers and shirt. Thank you. I can serve you best now by returning to my rooms. To Baker Street? But but the gems, Mr. Holmes, where are they? I cannot tell. Then I shall never see them again, I know. And my son? My opinion is in no way altered. Then for heaven's sake, tell me what was this dark business which was acted in my house last night? If you can call on me at my Baker Street rooms tomorrow morning between nine and ten, I shall be happy to do what I can to make it clearer. I understand that you give me carte blanche to act for you, provided only that I get back the gems and that you place no limit on the sum I may draw. I would give my fortune to have them back. Very good. I shall look into the matter between this and then. 
Oh, uh, it's just possible that I may have to come over here again this evening. Goodbye. Bless my soul, Holmes. Back and breakfasted. You'll excuse my beginning without you, Watson, but you remember that our client has rather an early appointment here this morning. Yes, well, perhaps while you finish your coffee, you'll favor me with some explanation of your extraordinary activities last evening after we returned from Holders. How are you getting on, anyway? Oh, uh... So, sir? <laughs> really, Holmes, I despair. You dress yourself up as a common loafer, refuse to tell me where you're going or to take me with you. You come back a few hours later with an old pair of shoes in your hand, drink a cup of tea, change to your ordinary clothes, and off you go again. And all you say is, don't wait up for me, my dear Watson, I might be late. <laughs> <laughs> I do wait for you till after midnight before I give it over. Then down I come next morning, and here you are, with a cup of coffee in one hand and the paper in the other, as fresh and trim as could be. And ready for our client? Oh, wait. It's after nine already. I shouldn't be surprised if this were he. Oh, come in, sir. Oh, good morning. I, I don't know what I've done to be so severely tried. Do sit down. Please. Thank you. My niece, Mary, has deserted me. Deserted you? Mm, her bed this morning had not been slept in. I... I had said to her last night, in sorrow, not in anger, that if she had married my boy, as had always been my wish and his, all might have been well with him. Perhaps that was thoughtless of me. A note lay for me upon the hall table. Is that it in your hand? Yes, yes, this is it. Oh, pray read it. My dearest uncle, I, I feel that I have brought this trouble upon you and that if I had acted differently, this terrible misfortune might have never occurred. I... Um, do not worry about my future, for that is provided for. And above all, do not search for me, for it will be fruitless labor and an ill service to me. What could she mean, Mr. Holmes? Do you think it points to... Uh, to suicide? Nothing of the kind. Let us return to the scene of your son's uh, crime for a moment. You remarked that the coronet which he held in his hands was somewhat injured, twisted... Did it not occur to you to think that he might have been trying to straighten it? You suppose that your son came down from his bed, went at great risk to your dressing room, opened your bureau, took out the coronet, broke off by main force a small portion of it, went off to some other place and concealed three gems out of the 39 with such skill that no one could find them, and then returned to the dressing room to expose himself to the greatest danger of being discovered. I ask you now, is such a theory tenable? But what other is there? It has been my task to find that out. Mr. Holder, you owe a very humble apology to your son. Then it was not Arthur who took the barrels. No. Well, for heaven's sake, tell me what you know of this extraordinary mystery. I will do, sir, step by step. But rest assured about your son. I had an interview with him this morning. He would not tell me the story, so I told it to him. He had to confess that I was right, and he added the few details I did not know. Let me say to you first what it is hardest for me to say and for you to hear. There has been an understanding between your niece Mary and Sir George Burnwell. They have fled together. Mary? Impossible. It is unfortunately more than possible. It is certain. George Burnwell is one of the most dangerous men in England. A ruined gambler, a desperate villain, a man without heart or conscience. Your niece knows nothing of such men. 
When he breathed his vows to her, as he had to a hundred before her, she thought that she alone had touched his heart. The devil only knows what he said, but at last she became his tool. I cannot, I, I will not believe it. Your niece was in the habit of seeing Burnwell nearly every evening. The other night, when you thought she had gone to her room, she talked to him through the window which leads into the stable lane. She told him of the coronet. She had scarcely time to hear his instructions when she saw you coming. She closed the window and told you about the maid's escapade with her wooden leg sweetheart, which was all perfectly true. This is all incredible to me. Uh, Dr. Watson, what do you say? Pray let Holmes continue, Mr. Holder. Thank you, Watson. Arthur slept badly after his interview with you. In the night, he heard sounds, looked out of his door, and was astonished to see his cousin emerge stealthily from your dressing room, carrying the coronet. She went straight downstairs and to the window. He was horrified to see her pass the coronet out to someone waiting there, and then hurry back to her room. Is it possible? Only then did he realize what was afoot. He rushed down in his bare feet, opened the window, sprang out into the snow, and ran down the lane. He caught up with the dark figure ahead. It was Burnwell. They struggled. They tugged at the coronet between them. Suddenly, something snapped. Your son, finding the coronet in his hands, rushed back to the house. He ascended to your room and had just observed that the coronet had been twisted and was trying to straighten it when you appeared. But he would explain nothing. You roused his anger by calling him names at a moment when he felt he deserved your warmest thanks. Also, he loved Mary more perhaps than you realized. He could not explain the true state of affairs without betraying her. On the spur of the moment, he decided to preserve her secret. And that was why she shrieked when she saw the coronet. What a blind fool I've been. But, Holmes, how could you know these things before my son's confession? When I arrived at your house, I knew that no snow had fallen since the night before, and also that there'd been a strong frost to preserve impressions. In the stable lane, I found a very long and complex story written in the snow in front of me. There was a double line of tracks of a booted man. I saw to my delight that a second double line belonged to a man with naked feet. Obviously your son. The first had walked both ways, but the other had run swiftly. His tread was marked in places over the depressions of the boot, so it was obvious that he'd passed after the other. I followed them back and found that they led to the hall window. With all that you had told me, I was beginning to form an opinion as to what had occurred. Remarkable. Yet how could you know who the man was and who it was who had brought him the coronet? Ah. It's an old maxim of mine that when you have excluded the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Now I knew that it was not you who had brought the coronet down, so there only remained your niece and the maids. Yes, but if it were the maids, why should your son keep silent afterwards? There was excellent reason, though, for him to keep his cousin's secret. Because of the disgrace it could have brought to your name. When I remembered that you had seen her at that window and that she had cried out on seeing the coronet later, my conjecture became a certainty. Then her confederate? A lover, evidently. For who else could outweigh the love and gratitude she must feel to you? I knew that your circle of friends was very limited, but among them was Sir George Burnwell. I knew of his reputation with women. And even though he knew that Arthur had discovered him, he could still feel safe. The lad could not say a word against him without compromising his own family. So what did you do next? I went in the guise of a loafer to Burnwell's house. I managed to pick an acquaintance with his valet. And at the expense of six shillings, I made all sure by buying a pair of his master's cast-off shoes. 
With these, I returned to your house and saw that they exactly fitted the size of the tracks. Yes, yes, I saw an ill-dressed vagabond loitering in the lane yesterday evening. Ah, it was I. Then I came home and changed my clothes. It was a delicate part which I had to play then. A prosecution had to be avoided to avert scandal, and I knew that so astute a villain as Burnwell would see that our hands were tied in the matter. I went and saw him. At first he denied everything, but then I gave him every particular. And he became more reasonable. I told him that we would give him a price for the stones he held. A thousand pounds apiece. Oh, by the way, Mr. Holder, you would not think that an excessive sum? I would pay ten. That would be unnecessary. Oh. Uh, Three thousand will cover the matter. Oh, um... Yes, and there's a little matter of a thousand pounds reward, I believe you mentioned. Uh, better make it four thousand pounds. Have you your checkbook? Uh, Watson, a pen, if you please. There, Mr. Holder, is your missing piece of the barrel coronet. I'm saved. I'm saved after all. Mr. Holmes, your skill has exceeded all that I have ever heard of it. You saved England from a great public scandal this day. As for myself, I don't know oh, how please, to... please, say no more. My dear Watson. It, Watson, if you please, Mr. Holder's waiting for his face. The case of the Beryl Coronet was one of the Sherlock Holmes stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. My, my real name is Norman Shelley. My friend Carlton Hobbs played Sherlock Holmes, and I was Dr. Watson. Michael Hardwick wrote the script for this BBC production from London. And of course, I look forward to the pleasure of your company again, soon, for more of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes.